remember when you were a kid and you would go, maybe you weren't a kid, but for me, I think back to this time, when you were a kid and you would go to either a family picnic or a church picnic. And back in the day, like now it seems like people are pretty quick to, we're pretty quick to go to Walmart and buy the potato salad. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just thinking potato salad, you know, sometimes it's easier just to go to the store and buy it. But do you remember back in the day, now some of you, I'm sure many of you ladies still do a lot of cooking, but back in the day, it seemed like there would always be an aunt somebody or an old lady in the church who could always just, every time she cooked, everyone wanted her stuff. You know what I mean? We want Aunt Myrtle's potato salad. And people would look to Aunt Myrtle and they would just scarf down, you know, like as soon as they got there, as soon as Aunt Myrtle got there, they would go over and they'd make sure they loaded their plate up. I'm getting excited about this. They'd make sure they loaded up their plate with Aunt Myrtle's potato salad or whatever dessert it was. And people would eat it and they would say, oh, this is the best. And you can fill in the blank, the potato salad or dessert that you ever had. And there's always people... And then you'd eat some other potato salads and some other macaroni salads. And maybe some of you ladies, you're a little jealous, you'd eat at Myrtle's potato salad or, or macaroni salad. And you would say, well, what's your secret? Because then you would taste your own and your own didn't taste quite like Aunt Myrtle's. Do you know what I'm saying? And so oftentimes you would hear people say to someone who's a good cook, what's your secret? What is the special ingredient that's in yours that's not in mine? Now, here's the deal. If Aunt Myrtle gives you the recipe, you can make the same type of potato salad that Aunt Myrtle does if she'll give you the recipe. Now, a lot of people say, oh, I could never do that. I could never cook as good as Aunt Myrtle does. A lot of times what we mean is, I don't want to take the time. I don't want to take the time and the energy to do what Aunt Myrtle does. I don't want to practice at it. I don't want to try. I don't, I, but I'm going to tell you something. If you add the same ingredients to your potato salad in the same measurements that Aunt Myrtle does, the potatoes do not know that it's you. They are not going to revolt against you. Some people think that. Some people think, uh-oh, no, the potatoes, they know it's me and they revolt. That's not the truth. If you will add the same ingredients, if you'll follow the recipe, you can make just as good of potato salad as Aunt Myrtle does. You really can. As we think about that, sometimes as we look at life, sometimes we say, we taste our life, as it were, and we say, hmm, there's something that's missing. You may look at someone else around you, And you look at your life and you say, well, something just doesn't seem right. I would like to have the kind of relationship that Aunt Myrtle does. I'd like to have the kind of relationship that so-and-so has. Well, let's talk about one of the main ingredients that's involved in any relationship. And at times, this is the ingredient that is missing. It's... You haven't added enough of it at times. John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Father, we pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just before the disciples faced one of the greatest challenges of their lives, the arrest and subsequent crucifixion of Jesus, then his rising from the grave and ascending to the right hand of the Father, they faced some really challenging times. Just before that, Jesus gave them this commandment. He said, I got a new commandment for you. Love one another as I have loved you. He doesn't just tell them to love one another. He tells them, you love one another in the same ways that I have loved you. As I have displayed my love for you, that's the response that I want you to have towards others. The word love is used only 12 times in John chapters 1 through 12. But in John chapters 13 through 21, it's used 44 times. It's a key word in Jesus' farewell sermon to his disciples. And when it says, a new command I give you, like, like, that's not new. That's not something new. That's not something that we didn't hear in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean new in time, because love has been important to God's people, even from the Old Testament times. It means new in experience. It means a fresh commandment I give to you. It's the opposite of something that's worn out. Love would take on a new meaning and a new power because of Jesus' death upon the cross. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, love would have a new power in their lives. And Devin shared about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the day that you were filled with the Holy Spirit? I remember that day, the love that God puts in our hearts. Do you remember the day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you repented of your sins? The love that God puts in our hearts. God has shed his love abroad in our hearts. He's poured out his love within us. And sometimes that needs to be renewed. It's not a once and done deal. We need to allow God to continually pour out his love within our hearts. It's almost as if his love at times, his love never grows stale. But can I be honest? Yours and mine does. His love never loses its power. But friend, the day-to-day things of life have a way of wearing us down, and our love needs to be renewed. The challenge was not just to love one another, but to love one another as Christ has loved you. Just a a moment of interaction. Can you think, and I want you to say them out loud, can you think of the ways that God has displayed 
has shown his love to you? How has God shown his love to you? Through his Holy Spirit. What else? Through his death upon the cross, his sacrifice upon the cross. What else? Giving us victory and... Okay. What else? He's long-suffering with you. How else does God's love shown towards you? What else? When he came down, when he left the heavens, came down and was born as a baby, died upon the cross. When we don't deserve it, okay, blessing us even in spite of ourselves. What else? Okay. So God loves us in spite of our faults and our weaknesses. And he doesn't deny those, but he loves us even in spite of those. What else? Is God patient towards you? The word long-suffering. He's kind towards us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He forgave me. Did he forgive you? He doesn't hold. How does God love me? He doesn't hold my sins against me. When I go into his presence, I feel condemned sometimes outside of his presence. When we really get into his presence, we don't feel condemned. We feel accepted. The word says that he takes my sins and as far as east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That he cast our faults, our sins in the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be remembered against us any longer. He speaks up in my defense, even though I have sinned against him. He put aside his comfort for my well-being. He never gives up on me. We sang about that this morning. He never gives up on me. When God looks at me, he thinks good thoughts towards me. And he has good thoughts towards you. He doesn't focus on our shortcomings or our errors. He focuses upon you know, the blood of Jesus and, and he delights in us. You see, how am I supposed to love other people? All of the good things, the ways that God has displayed his love towards you. How many times, let me throw this out. How many times have you said sorry for the same thing? Some of us are a little slow catching on, aren't we? Like, we've said sorry more than once. There's times that we've rejected him. There's times where we've refused his counsel and his advice. And yet, whenever we come back to him, he reaches down and picks us up and lifts us up. The way that Christ, example of how Christ has dealt with us is to be your example of how you and I are to treat others. We're to be imitators of others. In fact, the scripture says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And you notice that he says you, that we must love one another. This is not like optional. Well, I don't, I don't feel like it. Well, too bad. Do you realize that there's a lot of people who do a lot of things in this world who don't feel like doing it? Isn't that something? We don't mind that other people do the things that they don't feel like doing. I doubt if most of the time when there's a fire, most firemen say, oh, most don't necessarily say, great, 
I get to run in a burning building and get the roof to fall in on me. Police officers who come to people's aid. There's part of them that says, I would rather be home tonight in my bed sleeping than running through a door with some guy with a baseball bat. It's not something that they want to do. Soldiers who serve our country. There's a lot of days where they would say, well, no, wait a minute. I would probably rather be at home watching sports than having someone shoot at me out here in the desert. Throughout all of our lives, there's people who make sacrifices for us. And yet somehow we feel that because we don't feel like doing it, that we shouldn't. You know, friends, there's things that we're supposed to do, whether we feel like it or not. And one of those things is that Jesus taught us, as he says, as he's loved us, that we're to love one another. Now, here's the beautiful part of that. When you understand what God has done for you, when you understand how much he's forgiven you of, when you understand how patient he's been with you, when you understand how long-suffering he's been with you, when you understand and you really get a glimpse of the muck and the mire that he brought you out on and that he set your feet upon a rock, there's this something within us, there should be this, there should be this thing that wells up within us, this spirit of gratitude that says, I want to help somebody else. If you've ever been in need and someone reached out and helped you, there's something about it when you see someone else in need that you're just like, no, man, I know how they feel. I want to stop and help them. I want to give them a hand because I know what it meant to me. I was talking to someone this week and and they said, you know, the, the two biggest problems in relationships. I said, well, can I quote you? And they said, yeah, the two biggest problems in relationships our pride and selfishness. No, that's, yeah, that's my, that's the other people's fault is what we always think. You're absolutely right, pastor. It's him. It's his pride and it's his selfishness. No, it's her. It's the person I work with. It's it's her pride and her selfishness. Friends, it's you and me. So the biggest problems in relationships so many times is these issues of our pride and our selfishness, our self-centeredness. Jesus said that the thing that will distinguish us, that will make us stand out from the rest of the crowd, is this love that we have for one another. Now, in our society today, people have this confusion about what love is. Ladies and gentlemen think that love is seeing some person and their heart beats fast their heart beats fast, they get excited. Friends, that's lust. That's just like enthusiasm. That's not love. It's surprising. People go around, they're looking for excitement. That's what they want. They want something exciting. And so a new person in their life, they see someone, they're like, oh, oh. That's not love, friend. Love really don't have a whole lot to do with your heart beating fast. It really doesn't. Those are nice times whenever that you feel that way about your spouse. But, but you know, there's people, they can see some kind of crazy person. Uh, you, you know, they, ladies or gentlemen, they see someone, they think, oh my, that's the person for me. They've known each other for two weeks and, and they think that they're in love. That's not love. That's, that's like they're in heat. I'm just telling you the truth. 
I mean, don't be offended. It's the truth. That's not love. Love is whenever someone sticks with you. Whenever all of life blows apart. Love is the old lady who goes in and visits her husband in the convalescent home. And he can't do anything back for her. And she sits and wipes his face. That's the kind of love I want. I don't want to spend my life chasing, because people who chase these momentary experiences of passion, you know, they're, they're chasing, they think, that's what I want, that's what I need in my relationship, that's what I need in my marriage, that's, that's what will fulfill me, or, or that's what will satisfy me. That's going to leave you empty. The little old man who pushes his wife around in the wheelchair and cares for her, that's love. Love is the mom and dad. Love is the mom and dad who have a handicapped child. And they don't get anything back. And they take care of that little boy or that little girl. And as they grow up, even until the ends of their lives, they care for that child. That's what love is. Love is not, we get this idea that love is this googly feeling and emotion all the time and i'm in love and i'm out of love can i tell you you cannot trust your feelings and emotions your feelings and emotions go up and down up and down they are not a good barometer of the truth of life feelings and emotions have any of you ever wanted to kill somebody let's just be honest don't raise your hand my feelings and my emotions change from moment to moment And people who allow their feelings and emotions to dictate what they do are very unstable people. We don't make our choices based upon how we feel that day. We don't make our choices and our decisions upon our emotions going up or down or I don't feel a particular way. I don't feel like that's called irresponsibility is what it is. Well, I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like cleaning the house. I don't feel, you know, thank God that people have learned and grown up that it's, they don't base life upon mere feelings or emotions. But this love, this commitment, this decision that I'm going to put other people before me, that I'm going to serve other people, that I'm going to lay down my life, this decision to lay down our lives, is one that starts with the decision in our hearts. If you're waiting on feelings, if you're waiting on the feelings or emotions to do it, then you probably won't be in love, if that's what you think love is. As we read further, Peter boasts of all he will do. And Jesus asked him, he says, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. To love as Christ loves requires a laying down of our lives. And Peter said, I'll do it, Lord. But whenever the pressure came on at that moment, Peter was not prepared to lay his life down. And to love other people the way that God has called us to involves a laying down of our lives. And to be honest, that's where most of us draw the line. We want our lives to be full, not empty. And we feel if we keep trying 
If we keep laying down our lives, our, our lives will be empty. Like Peter, we make great boast of how we love God and all that we do. But when it comes down to laying down our lives, we soon run from it. When laying down our lives means, I love you, and you give me nothing or little in return. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't know if it was on a Wednesday night. A lot of us think we love people. And can I just be honest with you, from a biblical perspective, it is not love, it's bartering. It is not love. And we say, you know, we think we're spiritual and we think we're great and we are not loving. What it is is, I'll be good to you if you be good to me. I'll help you if you help me. I'll serve you if you serve me. As long as this is working good and you're giving me back about equal what I'm giving you, then I say I'm loving people. Loving people is when you give and you get absolutely nothing in return. That's when we're really loving people. But I think so many times, I think so many times that, oh, I'm getting along good with people. I love people. I care for people. Yeah, yeah. But what about whenever there's no return? God calls us, Jesus, so many times. What has he gotten back? I mean, compared to what he gave for you, how much did he have to invest in you before you gave any return to him? I still haven't done much of a return for what he's invested in me. So if we're looking for some kind of equal treatment, I'll give you so much and you give me so much. Friends, that's not love. I love you and you don't appreciate me. I love you and you disrespect me. But isn't that exactly how most of us acted towards God? And if I love you and you don't love me back, I soon turn away. If I love you and you disrespect me, I soon grow tired of it. But unfortunately, that's exactly the way I treated God. Then Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. This idea of laying down our lives, of losing our lives by obeying God's word and loving others is really the most important thing that we can do. The greatest two commandments in all of scripture were found in Mark 12. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. First Corinthians tells us, That without love, all the things that we do are pointless. And then it goes on to identify what love is. Now listen to this. It says this. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I go around speaking in tongues, prophesying, being used in the gifts of the Spirit, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. All I'm doing is making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, move mountains. I mean, if I have a faith that when I speak, things come to pass and I don't have love, it says, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor 
and surrender my body to the flames. But have not love, I gain nothing. Can you imagine someone who we would say, we're doing the building fund. Can you imagine someone who would take their entire life savings, they would sell their home, they would sell their car, they would sell everything they have, and they would come and quietly with no one knowing, and they would write out a check or a a money order to the church, and they would give it towards the building fund. We'd be like, wow, I don't know who did that, but someone really was committed. Someone really wanted, or to give it to a missions work, or, or give it to the work of the ministry. We'd say, wow, they're crazy. Can you imagine how much they must love, or they give it to send missionaries around the world? Can you imagine how much they must love God? And he says, you do all that, and you don't love people? It doesn't matter for nothing. If they give their body to be burned, if, if they are a martyr, and they don't have love, it counts for nothing. Love is patient. What is love? What, okay, how do I know that I'm loving my husband? How do I know that I'm loving my wife? How do I know that I'm loving my neighbor? I don't have feelings. I want you to notice this. First Corinthians 13 talks about love. It does not talk about emotions or feelings, okay? Friends, those come and go. They're up and down, all right? This is what it says is, how do I know I'm loving my spouse? How do I know I'm loving my kids? How do I know I'm loving the neighbor? Are you patient? Good. Are you impatient with them? When you get around them, do they just tick you off? Just seeing them tick you off. Then I'm going to tell you something straight up from God to you. You're not loving them. Because the Bible says that love is patient. So if you're ticked off, as soon as your kids walk in the room, you're like, if you got a short fuse, you're not walking in love towards them. You can say how much you love them, you can blame it on them, but this is between you and God, and you are wrong. Pick up your feet, you'll be back next week, we'll give you a little bit more. You and I, when we're short-tempered and frustrated all the time, we are not walking in love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's tender towards them. If everybody else sees the hardness, you need to listen to them. Love is kind. If you're constantly snapping at them, if you're constantly saying harsh things or difficult things, you're not walking in love. It does not envy. In other words, it doesn't look at the other person and say that you, well, they're lucky. They get to do this. They get to do that. It doesn't envy. It doesn't look at the other person and want what we think that they're blessed with. It doesn't boast. It doesn't boast about all the things that it does. Okay? It doesn't say all the times that, well, I serve you and I do this and I do that. Love doesn't do that. It is not proud. It doesn't set itself up as being above anyone else. It doesn't walk in arrogance, but it walks in humility. It is not rude. One of the things that would improve many families, if you would treat your spouse or your kids or your neighbors the way you do complete strangers. I mean, somebody should just say, shout amen on that one. I know that you don't want to say it because they may poke you. If we would treat our families 
with the courtesies that we offer to complete strangers? It is not self-seeking. It's not looking out for its own good. It's looking out for the well-being of others. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Not even a short record of wrongs. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about this and how whenever we think well of people, we have a way of marking off the things that say anything bad about them. We push them aside. When you think something bad of someone, when you think, ah, he's a bum, she's a bum, they're lazy, they're this, then everything that you see, when you see them, you will discount the good points about them that say they're not a bum, they're not lazy, that there is good to them. And the things that, you'll discount the things that speak something opposite of that. And you will latch on to every single thing that they do that would agree with what you believe. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It doesn't say it sometimes protects. It says that love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love always presses on. It doesn't give up. Love never fails. Did you notice something? It doesn't talk a lot about feelings there. It talks about our responses and our choices and our decisions. God's called you and I. He's called you and I to walk in love. And if we can't get this one, then a lot of the other stuff that we're trying to be good at doesn't matter. If we can't get this one. Now, Pastor, you, you know, I know that each of us have our challenges and each of us have our story. Who's the one who helps us to love? God does. How does he do that? By pouring his love into our hearts. By pouring his grace into our hearts. And when you understand, one of the things about people who've been struggled through life at times, is many times they have an understanding of how other people feel. If you've suffered, if you've experienced pain, if you've experienced difficulty, it oftentimes gives you an understanding or an openness to the needs of others. And in the same way today, when you and I understand how God has forgiven us, how he's been patient with us, he's not throwing you away yet. He's not giving up on you. He doesn't keep bringing up all of the things that you have done wrong. What does he do? He keeps reaching out to you. As we close, can I just ask you this? Can I ask you that if there are some of those things that we've said today have applied to you? And if you would say, you know what? I am selfish. I thank God. God gave me a great wife who's really awesome to me. One of the neat things, though, is this. We've made a commitment to each other that this is forever. When it's forever, then I got to clean it up. I got to work at it. You know what I mean? It's like your vehicle. If you can just throw it away, if I'm going to get another one, then I don't have to maintain it. I don't have to take care of it. I'm going to get another one eventually. But when she and I got married, we made a commitment to each other. 
But this is until the day we die. Until I die, we're together. So when we have challenges or difficulties in our relationship, I know this, I got to work at it. Because this is where I live. This is the only one I got. I'm here. You can say I'm stuck here. I choose to be stuck here. This is the place I want to be. And so I'm going to do what I have to do my part. And I have to let God work in my life so that we have a type of atmosphere that's a blessing to live in. So whether it be, you know, those kids of yours, I know sometimes they get on your nerves. Those grandkids or that neighbor or, or that, you know, that family member. But, you know, God's placed them in your heart. He's placed them in your lives. And he's going to use that relationship with them to point out in you areas where you need to grow. He's going to deal with them, but he also wants to deal with you. Lord Jesus, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I ask you today that the power of the Holy Spirit would flow through this room. I pray, God, that we would be convinced by you, not by man, not by other people, not by a pastor's sermon, but by you, of how we are to walk and the love that we are to show. Lord, the first one you got to work on today is me. How many times we are so self-centered and selfish. We go through life saying, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And having resentment towards other people when they don't live up to what we expect, Lord. So God, I pray that before anyone else comes, I just pray that you would help me, Lord. That you would change my self-centeredness and my selfishness. I repent of that before you. And I ask God that you'd help me to love people the way you do. Now I pray for my friends, Lord. Lord, some of them have very legitimate needs. But God, aren't you our provider? Aren't you the one who meets those needs, Lord? So God, I pray that as the Holy Spirit speaks to them, I pray that they would have the courage to obey what you say. And I pray that you would teach us to walk in your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name.